Welcome to the Living to 100 Club podcast. Here's our host, Dr. Joseph Cassiani. Greetings to everyone joining us today for today's podcast. You're listening to the Living to 100 Club, and I'm your host, Joe Cassiani. You can find this conversation and all past conversations on our website, living200.club. Before we begin, I'd like to remind our listeners that I also present to community organizations and senior living communities on topics related to aging well and managing setbacks. Now to our podcast, where we discuss successful aging, staying positive, and making more informed decisions. Our guest for today is Dennis Litley, a chef, culinary instructor, and world traveler for a conversation about anything food-related. Dennis is the founder and CEO of Ask Chef Dennis Productions, where he runs one of the most successful food blogs in the world with over 10 million page views annually of his website and recipes. Dennis has a loyal following over 1 million people who look to his recipes and cooking tips for restaurant style cooking in their home kitchens. A little background first, Dennis is a classically trained chef and has worked in white tablecloth restaurants, executive dining, and finally at the end of his career at an all girls Catholic high school where he took school food to an entirely new level. After three years at the school, he created a culinary program that brought acclaim to the school and was used as a model for other schools from around the country. He started cooking at a very early age and has always enjoyed making people happy with the food he cooks. His early inspiration was Graham Kerr, the Galloping Gourmet. Dennis also works with travel companies and cruise lines showcasing their travel opportunities as he shares travel adventures and the deliciousness he's enjoying as he travels the world. Dennis, welcome to our program today. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. When it sounds like I have a really good life when you say it oh, like that. You've got a full, rich life there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice, nice, uh, comfortable journey for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just speaking of Graham Kerr, you know, we have one of the original scooper scrapers that he oh. had whenever he sold them, and it still works great. It's just a perfect kitchen utensil. Okay. I digress. So I always like to begin by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about the journey. I covered a lot of it, but how did you get to where you are today? Well, you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of time in front of the computer, a lot of time in my kitchen and uh, making contacts. You know, it's, it's, uh, it is a really a journey. Uh, people look at my life and they go, wow, he's living a great life. Well, I am, but you know, there was a lot of work behind it. And honestly, about 10 years ago, I did not foresee this. I, I had hopes and dreams and aspirations. And, but to reach the level that I'm at now just seemed like a fantasy, seemed like a dream. Wow. And, and things just kind of fell into place. I mean, I, there was a lot of work behind it. But you know, I, I never thought of it as work because I always enjoyed doing it. It, it was you know, after I got out of the kitchen, I went into a little bit of depression. Um, when I couldn't work anymore because my body was just breaking down and mm. I kind of reinvented myself and found myself via the internet. Uh, Google plus was a big thing for me back then. Uh, it was their grand experiment, but so many of us thought of it as a really great social media. And I thrived on Google plus and sure. uh, did a lot of stuff there. And that kind of got me out 
public speaking and got me at conferences and really started to open doors for me. And then things just started to fall into place and business started to pick up, uh, brands started to pay attention to me, uh, people started really looking at my recipes. And then when the pandemic hit, you know, business just blew through the ceiling. It was, everybody was home cooking. Sure. Yeah. Home cooking. Yes. Yeah. And uh, one of my big tenants is to demystify food. And, you know, it's not rocket science. I used to always tell my girls in class, this isn't rocket science. We're talking about food here. You know, if the recipe says to put broccoli in it and you don't like broccoli, well, leave the broccoli out. It's not, you know, it's not going to kill it. You know, so I try to give a lot of those tips in my recipes because, you know, food is very personal. Food is something that we look that sometimes we overlook as as a way to bond with other people and a way to to make ourselves feel better and other people feel better it's just we have to look at it in a different way sometimes you know a lot of people say well it's just nutrition you just have to put it in your body it's it's fuel for your body and and there were days and there still are days that i look at it that way and it doesn't matter what i eat i just need to get something in me but other times, you know, if I can relax and I can take time and I can enjoy it and I, and I feed someone else, it's mm. always when I feed someone else. If sure. it's just me, I'm not going to go to a lot of trouble. But when I have an opportunity to make something for somebody else and make them happy, make them smile, you know, that that's like, that is my uh, drug of choice, mm. making other people happy. Yeah. Yeah. So when the pressure's off, no expectations, you're really comfortable and you can settle in and do yeah continue to do the cooking but it's enjoyable and it's refreshing for you it's energizing yeah you know it's it's therapy to a degree it's just it's something that i do intuitively and i feel Mm -hmm. good about and you know and it's funny i watch my wife loves to try and help sometimes she does it but i watch her struggle and it's almost painful <laughs> to see what she's doing. You know, I, I have to stop myself from from jumping and grabbing the knife or doing something because she's trying. She's trying to to do sure. stuff. But you know, that's sure. not that's not what she likes to do, and it's not her what she is. She's a teacher. She's a great teacher, and you know, that was what she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell our listeners a little bit about your your typical working day. You're not a restaurant chef anymore. No. You're you're not at the culinary school anymore. How do you spend your your time now? Well, you know, I start the morning. I, I generally get up between six and seven o'clock, you know, sometimes a little earlier, rarely later. Uh, but I get up, I uh, make some coffee and I drink some water first. I always start that, uh, make some coffee. I go up to my office and I start sorting through any emails that I might mm-hmm. have, anything that needs immediate attention. And then I, I look at my uh, traffic to see if how I did for the day and I didn't have any drop offs. You know, it's always, you always people look too late sometimes and they said, oh, I didn't go to look for a week. And all of a sudden I didn't have any traffic. Well, something was wrong. Well, if you check, you know, I'm kind of anal about that. I'll check it throughout the day just to make sure something isn't broken. You know, I have people that take care of it, but just on the, the chance that they missed it, you know, uh, make sure everything went well. Uh, answer comments if people had questions uh, and they missed something or I didn't, I left something out of a recipe. It happens, you know, and I, I thank them for the heads up and going and fix it. Um, you know, and just try to do that. That's the beginning of my day. I get that work out of the way. And then I try and plan. I, I don't plan ahead too much, but I try to plan them what I'm going to make for the day. Or if I have time to create a post, uh, to take the pictures, to do all the work involved, set up the ingredients and go through the recipe and make sure it works. So, you know, people think, 
Yeah, I, I do it a lot quicker than a lot of people. But for me, it's still a couple hours of work to get everything ready to make it, to take the pictures and then clean up. Mm-hmm. You know, I never, you know, I don't have, I don't have anybody coming in after me to clean up. So oh, yeah. you know, I, like, yeah. I like in a restaurant. Um, so then I have to clean up, put everything away. And then it's going through the pictures and editing the pictures and then writing the blog post. So, you know, all in all, each blog post will take me an upwards of eight to 10 hours to create. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So typically a recipe a day, is that? No, you know, I'll hit, I'll hit weeks where I'll run through, I'll get maybe three posts a week or four posts a week. That's a very good week. Sure. And, and a lot of it has to do with how I feel. Mm -hmm. I I was in a good deal of pain for a long time. I just had back surgery and that alleviated the pain immediately. And uh, I'm more, you know, I almost overdid it for a while there. I was feeling so good. And then I was, I was tiring myself out. So you have to pace it, but yeah, at these, these days, a recipe a day would be too much because I don't post Mm -hmm. that much. Mm -hmm. I try to post like three recipes a week because if you give people too much, you know, it's, you're overloading them. I don't want to give my readers more than like three recipes Mm -hmm. to think about. And uh, it's honestly, it's a lot of work. So, you know, but um, yeah, that, and just a lot of social time on social media. Okay, you know, that, sure. that's that's the the beast that you have to constantly feed to to stay current. It's it's your free advertising, you know. And if you don't take advantage of it, you're you're missing, you know, a big part of of what will help drive you to be successful. Mm, sure, sure, yeah. So it's um, kind of where you're doing the art and the science of um, of this cooking. I mean, you I talk more about your recipes and preparation, and all that, but. You make sure the technical side is working because you have such an active website. Yeah. And then um, you get into more of the art, artistic side of cooking, planning, preparation, and writing about it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a full, that's a full schedule. Yeah. Usually the afternoons are the, the time that I make food. And again, I need good light. So if it's raining out, I'm not going to mm. make anything. You know, that kind of, that kind of, if I was planning on it and all of a sudden there's thunderstorms and the light's really bad, well, I'm not going to get good pictures. So I have to wait. And, uh, you know, mother nature tends to make things, you know, know, make things happen. Yeah. Don't mess with mother nature. Yeah. (laughs) How did you get interested in cooking? My mother didn't cook. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I have always loved to eat. You know, that was, uh, I, I think I came out of the womb that way, just wanting to eat right away. And um, my grandmother used to feed me whenever I would visit her. I had a Mexican grandmother and uh, she didn't speak a lot of English, but she knew what I wanted to eat and she would cook and as long as I wanted to eat. And I kind of right away knew that I enjoyed food. The whole process of eating was good. Uh, my first memory of cooking was putting frozen waffles, getting a little ladder out. I, I must've been like three, maybe four, but getting a, a little ladder out, putting frozen waffles in a toaster, but not mm-hmm. understanding the concept of plugging the toaster in. Uh-huh. So I ate frozen waffles. They were yeah. good. Uh, <laughs> you know, I knew the process. I just didn't know the whole way. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. Um, these aren't bad. Maybe no, I could improve on them. Next yeah, time. yeah, yeah. But I, I ate them anyway. Uh, but it just—it was like food and me were always happy together. It was a marriage um, that I enjoyed. And my mom was a nurse, and she worked nights. So when I was 
being good and would let her sleep. I would go to the store. I would get mm-hmm. my bottles together, get my deposits for the bottles when you used to be able to get that. And mm-hmm. I'd buy something and I'd go home and make something to eat. And you know, it was usually always pasta based because, you know, that was filling. That was a mm-hmm. lot of food. It was inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, we always had some kind of cheese or stewed tomatoes. I remember, you know, they were easy to throw things together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, it was, I knew, I understood the concept. If I can make food. I can feed myself and I don't have to worry about someone else feeding me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I I think that was my first real interest in it. And then when I saw Graham Kerr on the TV and I watched the people, you know, he was like flashy and so debonair and just oh, having a great time. But when the people would come down, I didn't understand a lot of what he was making or the things he was doing. But when the people would come down from the audience at the end of the show, and he would let them eat the food yeah. and you'd watch their faces and you'd hear some of them moan that connected back in my mind somewhere as to, wow, what a way to make a living. You know, it, it was, it was me first saying that there's a way I can really make people happy. And I think, I don't know, I think basically a lot of us just want to make each other happy. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's sure. a way, it's the way to, sure. I mean, when you're happy, you you feel better. You know, it's and I, I sometimes think I strive for that too much. That it's part of my life. That if you know, like my wife, if I don't make her happy all the time, and or you know, if there's other people, I feel like I've let myself down or I've let them down. Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes that's that's a rabbit hole you can go down and isn't of course. good. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, that that yeah. was always the key to me, and you know, I, I knew I could do it, and, and later on in life, I just fell into it. Yeah. So he was. Um... Whatever he was doing really resonated with you, and oh yeah, you saw how how he enjoyed preparing for his guests. That also, you know, was kind of the role model that you you saw yourself doing that. Down yeah, the road. yeah, yeah. I don't think I realized it then because I think I was like twelve or thirteen. But you know, it just it was in there, and and then I tried the route, the jack of all trades, master of none, mm. carpenter, musician. You know, I, I went through every phase mm. of different lives, and I, I just kind of found myself coming back to food. Yeah. And it, Do you remember what your first job was as a cook my, or chef? My well, my first job in a kitchen, if you want to call it a kitchen, was flipping burgers. Okay there was a local hamburger stand called Wimpy Burgers mm-hmm. <laughs> where I lived. And um, the guy, I mean, he knew me cause I was there all the time buying burgers. <laughs> um, and I was in eighth grade and I remember going up and thinking, I need a job. You know, I, I'm, I'm 12. I need a job. And I went up to him and asked him for a job. And he, you know, he was like looking at me, sizing me up and I was a big kid and he was a big guy too. And he had probably saw a lot of himself in me, Mm, the size and the way. Um, And it's all right. And I remember he paid me a minimum wage was a dollar an hour then, Mm -hmm. but he paid me under the table. So he paid me 75 cents. Right. Yeah. Cause you were under 16, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't, there was no working papers. There was nothing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I I think I remember, you know, I I picked things up pretty quick and flipping burgers just again, not rocket science. It's pretty Mm -hmm. menial. Um, but I remember him sending me down to clean the stock room. It was at a basement. He goes, you know, he was just like, just find something to do. I'm standing around, go clean the stock room. I came up about 25 minutes later and he goes, I told you to clean the stock room. I says, it's done. Uh-huh. And not only had I cleaned it, I had organized it. Uh-huh. And he went down there and looked at it and looked at me. Yeah. And by the beginning of the next year, I was the manager of that place. Sure. Yeah. So it was a natural, 
natural move for you. Yeah. 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 So let's talk a little bit about your favorite dishes. I know I, I've been to your website. You have a great, great collection of all different types of cuisine. What are your favorite types of dishes and why? You mentioned pasta, but what, yeah. what are your favorites? Well, Italian food is just I always had a special place for me. Uh, I was trained in an Italian kitchen, which I think really gave me more opportunity to, to, to try different things, try more Italian food and sample. And again, it was an Italian American kitchen, big difference with a real mm. Italian kitchen, but Italian American kitchen. And uh, I've always loved that. I mean, I, I love Mexican food. I was, mm -hmm. you know, that was my first taste in Tex-Mex, not just any Mexican food. <laughs> mm. um, and traveling, I have gotten to try so many different cuisines and, the, the flavors, you know, of Ireland was such a surprise for me. Culinary, you, you talk about a culinary paradise. They, they had asked me, says, Dennis, we want you to come over and dispel the myth that the Irish don't know how to eat. <laughs> and I'm looking at them going, oh, God help me. I okay, I can food. do that. And, <laughs> and from the first meal I had, I was blown away with how good the food was. Yeah. And uh, it was like what we call farm to table. They call dinner. Yeah. You know? Yeah, uh, it was just so good. And food in Spain and, and I could live in Madrid, except it was hotter than Florida. <laughs> mm. uh, you know, just Paris was the first international city I visited. And uh, we OD'd on French food the first mm. visit. My, and my wife will not eat French food to this day. Mm. Um, but I love it. You know, uh, just you embrace the culture when you visit a different country. Of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah, so you talk about a lot of the European countries. So how about Asia? I have never been to Asia. Mm. I, I had my first real Chinese food when I was in Paris the first time. Mm. And we retired. She wanted something different. And we looked at it and go, oh, my goodness, what is this? Yeah. You know, because it's not American Chinese food. They don't eat that stuff. Mm. Um, and they made real Chinese food. Um, I, I have not, again being a child of the sixties and I was of age during the Vietnam era, mm -hmm. it was always something that didn't, you know, mm -hmm. it had that negative connotation yeah, to me. A little rub to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I would, I would love to go, but my wife doesn't have any interest in seeing mm -hmm. that part of the sure. world. Sure. So we don't um, mm -hmm. South America. I have not been to, we, we pretty much, we fell in love in Paris and we mm -hmm. pretty much really enjoy Europe. Um, and mm -hmm. again, with the time we have left, we could be adventurers and try and hit all the countries we've never been to, yeah. or we could relax and enjoy yeah, of life. Of course. Sure. Uh, so uh, a lot of the listeners on this podcast are in the 50 and over group. And I know when you and I talked, you have this concept of cooking smart and yeah. being able to prepare meals for a week and in one batch and one, one setup. So Tell us, uh, tell us your, your thinking on that, large well, batches and freezing. Yeah, you know, and again, uh, coming from a restaurant, it took me a long time to trim my batches down of what I made. And it was good and bad. We'd have a lot of leftovers to give the neighbors. And then I started thinking, you know, I've, I've always been, if I'm making two of something and I have all the ingredients, it's not that much more difficult to make six or eight of them. You know, uh, uh, like when I, whenever I do 
chicken, breaded chicken or breaded eggplant for parms or do the cutlets. I hate breading. That's not one of my least favorite things to do. So I do a lot of it. You know, I cook it, I, I freeze them in on a sheet pan and then I put them in Ziploc bags and all those days that I don't feel like cooking, I can pull something out of the freezer. So during the week, you know, or maybe I won't do it all in one week, but during the course of a month with me cooking, like if I made salmon cakes, I'll make 10 or 12 of them or whatever, and I'll freeze them. If I make the cutlets, I do the same thing. When I make spaghetti sauce, I make a big batch and I freeze enough for about eight dinners. Uh, and that way, usually you can save money by buying larger containers of things. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, and you, you spend your time making that batch of things and freeze them. You know, the whole secret to is freezing properly and, you know, making sure you're putting them in something, wrapping them. Uh, the freezer sucks moisture out of, mm-hmm. uh, of the thing. So that's the worst thing. That's why you get freezer burn. Mm-hmm. But if you package them good, you know, and not, nothing is better than thinking, Oh, I want uh, like, have I made crab cakes? I want crab cakes tonight. Well, I have some in the freezer. You know, I mm-hmm. make my make my starch, make my potato or my rice, and see what green vegetable I might have in there, mm-hmm. and cook that up. And boy, I've got a great dinner in no time at all. Mm-hmm. So, so that kind of batch cooking, you know, like if you like a stew, well, you're make you're going to cook that stew for a few hours to let the meat get tender. Well, you might as well make enough for like four or three or four batches of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that way you have it ready to go or, you know, or if a neighbor is sick and you need to give them something, well, here's something mm-hmm. you can give them. Sure. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's not, you have to look at it that way. Think when you go to the store. And like I said, a lot of times the multiple or the family size packages that you see in a store are considerably cheaper than of buying mm-hmm. the smaller packages uh, with, even with chicken breasts, say you just want to buy them, you know, you can clean them usually they're way too big. So you slice them in half down the middle, you know, make two out of one and, and then again, wrap them and freeze them. So if you want to do something with them later, if you want to grill them and uh, cook them, I mean, you can marinate them ahead of time and then freeze them. There's all kinds of things you can do. Mm-hmm. If you just stop and kind of think about it a little bit, one of my tricks with a, I saw a great trick with a cake. Um, one of my friends makes cake for two. Cake for two. Okay, yes. that works. and I'm and I'm thinking, well, oh, that's a big. How are you doing that? And I saw she makes one layer, cuts it in four, hmm. and then makes a four layer cake for two people with hmm. frosting, and then slices hmm. it, and it's done. I'm like, wow, that was pure genius. Hmm. But with me, like making uh, some of these desserts, I make, I said. Well, you know, like I made the peanut butter pie. I love those things. And I said, Tom says, you know, it's a lot to eat because it's so rich. So you cut it in slices, you freeze it, or you freeze it, you cut it in slices, and then you wrap the slices individually. Mm-hmm. So when you want a nice dessert, you can take a slice out. It's right there. Yeah. yeah and you put the slices in a Ziploc bag so they stay nice. And, and honestly, I used to do that in the restaurant with some really exotic cakes or, you know, frozen cakes. I would make moose cakes and stuff. And I would pull them out by the slice because they, they wouldn't sell a lot. Mm-hmm. So they would sell, but I, I'd have them ready to, to go. Yeah. Sure. So what about the, you know, the senior population and adjustments in our meals and diet? Mm-hmm. What, what kind of adjustments should we be thinking about? Well, you know, again, we have to think about our health. You know, it's, it's terrible that we don't think about our health as much when we're younger because it would really benefit us in the long run. But, you know, I'm just as guilty, you know, fat was my friend when I was young now, not so much. (laughs) Uh, 
but you have to think about what you're putting into your body. Um, I, I started, I guess, about 15 years ago, buying more organic products. I don't buy everything organic. It's either too expensive. And sometimes, honestly, vegetables just don't look that good. Mm-hmm. I always tell people to buy what's freshest and local whenever possible. If it's organic, that's great. If it's not, you know, it's still fresh and it's local. Uh, but looking to what you're buying, sometimes some of the meats we, we, I think as a population in the United States, we're trained that more is good. So, you know, uh, we eat way too much protein, you know, because we can, because we were a rich nation, you know, like I used to serve a 24 ounce porterhouse steak. That's more meat than anyone should humanly consume. Yeah. But because I could, you know, Mm -hmm. and now I'm saying, you know, four to six ounces of protein of, of chicken, of meat, you know, of fish, fish, sometimes I go a little heavier because it's light, but um, that's enough. And you want to, you want to get more vegetables. You want to get color on the plate. And then when you're eating a grain, you need to start thinking, you know, we're, we're so like for years, all I ate was white rice. And that's like probably the worst thing you can eat. Mm-hmm. And my wife got a heart condition and she said they had to eat brown rice. So, and I always like brown rice, but it takes longer to cook. Mm-hmm. So I was lazy. So I got the brown rice and I made it. And the first thing I did was, oh my goodness, this is why my Mexican rice is never right. This is the rice my grandmother used. Oh. I could just tell from the texture of it. Mm-hmm. So, oh, so much better. And then farro. I don't know if you've ever had farro. Yes, sure. Oh, I love farro. I see, I make risotto out of it. You can, it's, it's nutty. It's flavorful. But again, trying some things that are a little different, that are so much better for you, uh, eating like beets, uh, beets are a pain to make sometimes, but if you roast beets, they're delicious, you know, and then they're great on salads, you know, and they're so good for you. Fresh beets. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, rather than the ones that we used to get when I was a kid, those pickled beets in the jars, which were turned me off to beets forever. I thought, oh, yeah, <laughs> they were sweet and good, but oh, not like fresh beets. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so differences say uh, for 50 plus versus 30 plus, I mean, different age groups. What do you, what do you recommend? You know, honestly, yeah. there shouldn't be any difference. No difference. Okay. You know, that's, that's the truth that we neglect to see until we're older and it start, we start to go, Hmm, I better start taking care of myself. Sure. You know, uh, you really need to start watching it and cutting back and training your body. Because if you train your body to eat, you know, again, you know, when you're under 25, I think you need more protein than most people just because of your body's metabolism. But as your body's metabolism starts to slow, all that extra protein is, is turned into fat. You know, it's not, it's not helping your body uh, recuperate. It's not, you know, they say you need protein for your cells to replenish. Well, after a certain point, you know, your cells are going, oh, let's hold it back on the protein. That's enough for now, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So you have to start eating smarter. And again, that's, that's where we were. You know, we we need a doctor to tell us, uh, you know, you better change your dietary habits or you're going to get sick, you know, and and people that are proponents of organic or, or, uh, pasture raised food it's more expensive as well all right you can pay it now or you can pay it later in all your doctor bills Mm -hmm. what do you decide what do you choose 
And sometimes the method of teaching us these things isn't as well received when we're younger, you know, we're invincible, you know, it's our bodies will do anything we tell them to. So thirties, forties, fifties, you know, I think just cutting back amounts as you start to get older is the key to not putting on the extra weight because your body just can't deal with all the extra, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't need that much food as much food anymore. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The quantities go down. So, um, I mean, we don't, we don't start with the better diets in our seventies and eighties, right? Mm-hmm. We start with the better diets in our in, in middle adulthood, right? Thirties, yeah, forties, yeah. and yeah. Um, you mentioned the protein and, and red meat. I know you're not a nutritionist, but what other substitutes do you recommend instead of the red meat, beef, and pork? Well, you know, uh, seafood. And again, seafood, but again, sourcing it, you know, and again, seafood's more expensive. That's, that's where the problem lies. Um, I have nothing against red meat. I I was never, the only red meat I ever really liked were cheeseburgers. Hmm. You know, I I was never a steak eater. Every now and then you give me a, um, a a porterhouse or or a nice uh, ribeye. But other than that, I really didn't care for it. Pork again, same thing. Um, I, when I was in, I was in martial arts for a while, and when I went in martial arts, they told me to stop eating red meat. So mm-hmm. I did, and I really didn't miss it. I, I ate turkey burgers, chicken burgers, um, love chicken. So mm-hmm. it's it's not a. But again, I started eating. Uh, well, it was free range, and now free range means that there might be a door in the barn. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, so you want pasture raised. Yeah. It's just a pasture in the wall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they got around that. You know, well, they can go out if they want to. They <laughs> choose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the cage gets in the way. Yeah, I, I started eating chicken at the uh, free range because it didn't taste like chicken anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going, I'm behind it, I'm eating it. goes, it just doesn't have any flavor. Mm-hmm. So I bought that. And then the next thing was milk. And I bought grass-fed. Well, at first I started with just organic milk. I went to grass-fed after that. But it was like, it was like drinking cream, you know, full fat milk. You know, now I do 2% because it's still better than most regular milk. Uh, but it was just the quality of some of these ingredients were, was much better than the mass marketed things that were pushed out against. It's like pork. I saw a movie about how pigs are treated and I will never eat regular pork again. Mm-hmm. It's sinful. Um, mm-hmm. There was a a book about I read and it was about how people progressed and evolved and moved and grew into the society that we are because of pigs, because uh-huh. we had a contract with pigs. They would travel with us when we were nomads, we would have them and they would be pigs. And then of course we would eat them, but before we eat them, they were allowed to be pigs and to be alive and be the animal that you know nature intended them to be. And somewhere along the line, we broke that contract and said, no, we're going to put you into cages and the pens. You're never going to move and we're just going to eat you. Mm-hmm. And it was, and they're as smart as dogs. So it's like, ugh. Mm. Uh, you know, that really things. And I wish I had known that earlier in my life. You know, I, I try not to serve things. Like I stopped selling veal. Uh, you know, veal was king back in the eighties, but you know, once I started to realize what they were doing to these animals, I wouldn't serve veal anymore. Mm, sure. You know, sure. Uh, now they're raised healthier. They're raised better. They're not 
treated the way they are were so mm -hmm. you know you mm -hmm. you can um lamb is a good substitute for red meat yes yeah. uh, uh -huh. but again but any kind of meat protein i just don't think we need it as often as we used to eat it i would probably eat that kind of of a uh, red meat or lamb or pork or anything along the lines no more than once a week yeah. uh, just for me you know i always say don't deny yourself something you know, if you really feel like a steak have a steak but you know don't have a steak for another you know 10 days that's all yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. let the beef come out of your body i'm a big fan of uh, blue zones and you know the world's oldest old and where the centenarians live and you know they their diets are the fruits and vegetables, right? The grains, yeah, the yeah. squash and nuts and um, very little red meat. And they mm -hmm. talk about three or four ounce portions, of yeah. maybe once a week and maybe a few times a month. Not, not a lot more than that. So yeah, it does say a lot about, um, you know, lifestyle practices of the centenarians around the world. And, yeah. And oh. certainly no, no refined sugars and no yeah. processed foods. Processed foods are deadly and we've known that for a long yeah. time now but there's as prevalent as they've always been there there's such resistance you know and it's always the excuse of it's going to be more money it's going to be more expensive which mm. is probably the biggest lie they tell us mm. when the dark act was passed you know pepsi was in uh, quaker i think they're the same company now we're way behind we're behind pushing they didn't want to have to list the ingredients Mm -hmm. You know, and we weren't saying, well, we're not going to buy your product anymore. We were just saying, we just want to know what's in it. Yeah. And and they passed the dark act where we were not. But in Europe, and they say, no, it's going to cost more to put it on the package. Well, you do it in Europe where you have to. What is it going to cost? A quarter of a cent more? Mm -hmm. No, really. You know, who are you lying to? Who are you mm -hmm. kidding? Just, just do it. And again, it's not that, you know, people are going to rush out and say, oh, you know, stop using that because it's got, you know, genetically modified oats in it. You know, it's going to, we just want to know, we want to make the sure. decision. Sure. Uh, you know, and the funniest thing in Europe, you know, we eat like fools when we're in Europe and we don't gain weight and we feel better, you know, because they don't have all the processed foods. Mm, sure. And a lot more physical activity. Yeah. In most cases. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for that. Um, how about, just basic staples. What do you always have in your pantry, in your kitchen? What kind of well, staples? Well, if you went down there, you would see an extra bottle of uh, extra virgin olive oil. You know, I like either Spanish, Italian um, olive oils, one of the two. I used to buy California a lot, and then they started mixing them with other things. So mm. I, I try to buy a pure oil. Um, you will find canned tomatoes, and there will be San Marzano's, all with San Marzano's. Uh, my wife has uh, like an acid reflux problem when she would mm -hmm. eat tomato sauce and I would start using San Marzano's and she doesn't have a problem anymore. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the acidity in them is different. And a thing about San Marzano's, if you ever see crushed tomatoes and they say San Marzano's, they're not because they can only be sold whole. They have to be whole. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You will find uh, risotto rice, which is arboreal. Mm -hmm. Arborio, and there's another couple of varieties that I just started buying. And I can't remember the names of mm -hmm. them. Uh, you will find brown rice. You will find um, artichokes, canned artichokes, because my wife loves artichokes. And sometimes I put them in dishes that I'm making. Mm -hmm. uh, you will find roasted red peppers, jarred or canned. 
because they go in for me. You will find, um, I'm trying to think, what, oh, pasta, of course, um, some wheat pasta and regular pasta. And I, I always buy, um, for regular pasta, I, I buy uh, Del Checo, Del Checo. Uh, because I just really enjoy that, the bite of it. Uh, I use Barilla for wheat because it's really good and, mm-hmm. and they make a good product. Um, I use, um, what else will you find down there? I don't buy a lot of canned stuff. It's it's going to be mostly fresh or, or frozen if I can't find fresh, but mm-hmm. you'll find those oh, capers, olives, you'll find an, uh, a jar of Kalamata, a jar of some greens. I love those in dishes, uh, capers occasionally, uh, tuna, uh, but albacore and always uh, line caught. Line caught. Mm-hmm. Line caught, you know, and again, you know, it, it's funny. I just, I just read about albacore. <laughs> you can't eat albacore as often as you could eat skipjack because mm-hmm. there's more stuff in the albacore than there is in the other tuna. Oh. I thought, wow, buy a better tuna and I can't eat as much. Oh. Um, but we don't eat very much, you know, once a week is probably the most. Uh-huh. Um, so you'll find certain things and it depends when I go through the grocery store. Oh, I found these canned uh, cherry tomatoes mm. that yeah, were, cherry tomatoes. Yeah. yeah, they were amazing. Um, I, I just happened to see them in the grocery store. So I used them. I made my first ever tuna casserole because I'd always thought, oh, hot tuna is not a good thing. And I made it, but I put sun-dried tomatoes in it. I put uh, the cherry tomatoes in it. I had some olives in it. I had mushrooms in it. And then I made a white sauce with it. And it was really good. Mm, uh, sure. But uh, yeah, and, and when you buy pasta, buy some different shapes mm-hmm. just to break the monotony. Cavatappi is one of my new favorites. I love that. Uh, but just some different shapes. Um, and then in the refrigerator, I always have a good assortment of cheese, even mm-hmm. though you know, I won't stand and eat a lot of it, but I like to have it. Sure. I like grated Romano cheese for pasta or for other dishes, you know, because it adds a little bite to it. Uh, one thing I tell people to get that's like a, a godsend when you're making things is to buy soup bases. Now, mm-hmm. in the restaurant, I would buy miners because that was the standard, but you can order them on Amazon. I don't know. Uh, but if not, there's a, a product that comes really close to it. It's called Better Than Bullion. Uh-huh. I've seen it. And they make, yeah, they make little eight ounce jars of it. And if you go on their website, they have like 25 varieties of it. You can get low sodium ones. You can get organic ones. And an eight ounce jar, you know, refrigerated. Once you open it, you always refrigerate it. Uh, you, know, you can make soups with it. You can, if I'm making, I even like to use chicken when I make some seafood soups, chicken base stock, mm-hmm. because it adds a little bite to it. You're adding, we used to call it yellow salt, you know, it was kind of, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it's adding the flavor and it's adding a little salt yeah. and it, it gives it more of the bite than a seafood stock would make it like a soft on the palate kind mm. of flavor. Okay. So when I make clam chowder, I use the clam juice from the clams. I use, uh, you know, but I put the chickens, chicken base in to give it a little perk. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you've uh, you've traveled a lot, and I know you've been on cruises, and uh, I mean not just been on cruises, but you've been invited mm-hmm. to uh, help develop the the menus for cruise lines. And what was that like? What's your what, what, was, your, what was your favorite? Well, my first cruise was a big ship cruise, and my wife and I both got off of it and went. I don't think we're cruise people because you know the whole basis of cruising is see how much you can eat and drink. <laughs> you know, and sit by the pool. Well, we're living in Florida. We can, that's, that's a normal day for us, mm. you know, 
if you're from Wisconsin, oh, it's a wonderful thing. Mm. But, uh, you know, for us, it was like, oh, we want to. And we started traveling together. Both of us left the country for the first time together when we went to Paris. And we started traveling together and really loving to explore. We, we would watch Rick Steves on TV and uh, see where he went with the locals. It was always, let's go with the locals. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when we were on the ship and they took us one place and they were proud that we went to the Bahamas and I was like, oh, this is, this is a pretty island, but there's nothing here. And they took us to the casino and I went, oh, I grew up in Atlantic City. I've seen casinos before, you know. Um, so we, we went off shaking our heads and then I got an opportunity to work with Viking. And again, she was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And we went and uh, well, they treated us like royalty first of all. And, mm. uh, but just being able to dock right in Vienna and get off the mm, boat, sure, and right walk, in the yeah. walk into Vienna or Budapest and walk right into it and just eat dinner wherever you want. Not on the ship if you don't want to, but just walk on your own in the center of a European town and sometimes small European town. So Viking was really pretty cool. We, we did one that was just bizarre, but so restful in the fact that it was the ship moved so slow. We did a barge cruise with European waterways Hmm. and there were 12 of us on the ship and you would walk faster than the barge would move. Yeah. (laughs) First time they told me, he says, Oh yeah, go ahead get off the boat, walk into town and then you'll catch up to us. Yeah, (laughs) I'm like, how's that work? And Hmm. I saw, uh, but just the calm, the serenity, the, the, I mean, you were just love and life and just so relaxed. And, uh, and then I did one with uncruise that was an expedition type ship. That was, Hmm almost my favorite Mm -hmm. the ship was not super comfortable but every person that worked on that ship could have worked for national geographic there were you know there were they had their doctorate some of them they were masters in in oceanography and animal stuff i mean they were just brilliant and i look at them going how are they working on these ships oh my goodness Mm -hmm. but they loved what they were doing you know, sure. they got to interact with people. They got to talk about wildlife and uh, different things and, and take us out on little Zodiacs out in the water and show us sights and, you know, experiences. And then, of course, the food is always fabulous on these ships. It's just, you know, they just blow you away with sure. that. But, so uh, were, you, were you involved in preparing some of the menus for Viking or? Uh, no, I did. I did uh, spend time with the uh, with the chefs. And with the uh, the regional chefs, and we would talk about work and business. Uh, as for actually helping them prepare the menus, I did not. Uh, mm-hmm. I did do some work with European Waterways with some food, but okay. again, yeah, they 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 have such competent people. You know, I would always I would say something like, you know, have you tried it this way? And it, it wasn't so much you were working with the whole corporation as maybe just talking with a chef. But uh, I was fortunate on one trip to spend some time with the regional chef and we would sit up on top of the deck after dinner and have a cocktail and, and commiserate about, you know, the mm-hmm. problems or problems are kitchen problems are universal. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what language you're speaking. Sure. Yeah. She was, and uh, we would talk about it in Switzerland. It was the same thing. They, I went to this massive resort and uh, the uh, sous chef, the second in line spent the day with me and we were just talking about everything. And yeah. uh, it's it's getting a feeling and you don't know like when i talk to people i would get ideas from them about what i should do and you talk to them they get ideas from you so it's just Mm -hmm. like a give or take with no expectations 
Yeah, no, a good mix, a good mix. I remember the Swiss meals that some of the restaurants, they would reserve like a third of the portion and not put that in front of you. They put like two thirds. And then when you're finished that, they would bring you the rest of it. It's yeah. like, it was like uh, just enjoying that same play twice. Yeah. Oh, well, we went to this one place in Bergenstock in Lucerne and the chef after spending all day with me and I, I'm going, oh, I can't, but my wife is going, who do they think you are? Hmm. I'm like, I don't know. But, you know, he was just, I guess if you're nice to people, they don't hmm. always expect it and hmm. they're nice back to you. And then they enjoy, actually enjoy being with you. Yeah. Well, after the end of the day, you know, he took me to their restaurant was all Asian cuisine, five different types of Asian cuisine. Wow. He says, do you want to order or do you want me to make it for you? I said, I just give me whatever you want. Well, they sent out about seven plates. Yeah. And we're just in heaven. And as the service clearing goes, well, that was a good start. <laughs> and I looked at my wife and I looked at him. I said, start. He goes, oh, yeah, those were just the appetizers. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. people, you know, again, if you're kind to people, if you talk to white people, they go out of their way to be nice to you. Yeah. And that's the joy of going to other cultures and enjoying uh, different different worlds and different cuisines. Sure. So let me ask you about your website. You have a very <laughs> popular website. You have tons and tons of followers. What are yeah. your, what are they looking for when they, are they looking for traditional recipes? They're looking for, what are you bringing out today, Dennis or Chef Dennis? I, I think they're looking for more traditional. You know, mm-hmm. I, I always tried to push that they were restaurant style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for when I'm talking about restaurant style, a lot of times the difference in what I make and what you're going to make isn't the ability of me as opposed to you is, is how you source the products. Mm. You know, I'm going to get a different type of quality of fish or I'm going to look for it. So you need to start learning how to source things and, and how to get the right products mm. to use and to start thinking about quality or what you're putting into it. Uh, and then the tips and tricks that, you know, you might not have ever thought of, like one of my favorites for thickening sauce, what I was taught was you take some butter, softened butter, and you put it in flour and you mm-hmm. squish the flour into it. Mm-hmm. And if I've got liquid in a pan, I put that into the pan and that I stir it and that thickens it. That's called a bourmonier. Mm-hmm. But that little buttered flour acts kind of like making a roux almost sort of thing, but it thickens the sauce. So little tips like that, sure. uh, seasoning or, or how to, how to, like when I put fish in the oven, I always put a little water on the pan. So it, you know, it'll pull the water into it as it cooks instead of pulling the water just out of the fish and drying it out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So give it, give it, you know, I say it was from the sea. So give it some water, you know, (laughs) to to help it cook. So it doesn't dry, but so they look for the, I think they come and expect it. And then a couple of years ago, I started with a, with a philosophy, you know, I, I was always, you know, when I was a restaurant chef, it was, this is how I make it. You know, if you don't like it, no soup for you, you know, mm-hmm. kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my wife said, I became the gentler chef, Dennis, the kinder, mm-hmm. gentler chef, Dennis, mm-hmm. uh, when I went to the girls school and I had to kind of change my way of, of looking at things. Yeah. Yeah. And I carried it onto my blog where I, if you don't like this, you don't, you don't have to make it using that ingredient. If you don't want it spicy, leave out the crushed red pepper or leave out the Tabasco. If you want it, like I had somebody write, I want your seafood soup was great, but I want to make it spicier. I said, well, just add a little crushed red pepper mm-hmm. or let everybody put their heat of choice into it at the table, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, kind of a thing. So adapt. It's not written in stone. 
you know, look at, I, I ask people sometimes to try and make it the way it was written or close to it, just to get an idea, mm-hmm. but to find joy in the kitchen, you need to enjoy eating what you've cooked. And if you cook something that you do not like, you're never going to really enjoy it. And so that means you're going to look at your time in the kitchen as, as like, I don't like to cook, but if you make something, you know, like say I, I had, um, a recipe for shrimp and broccoli you like shrimp but you're not necessarily fond or you know if i have mushrooms in it you don't like the mushrooms well leave the mushrooms out Mm -hmm. it's okay you know if you like something else or you don't like the broccoli if you like spinach or asparagus put that in instead yeah if if you don't like garlic but you like onion well maybe you want to use a shallot or maybe you want to use onion instead build the flavor profile to what you like Mm -hmm. Use the restaurant as a, I mean, use the recipe as a basis, as a good guideline, Mm -hmm. and then make it something that you like more, add something to it, make it your own, make it something that you're going to eat it and go, wow, that was really good. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. I get a lot of of, uh, messages like that. I did, I I used your recipe, but I used this instead and I used this instead and we, everybody loved it. I'm like, great. The old old chef Dennis would have been, ah, yeah, I would have been (laughs) beside myself. But now says, thank you. You made it yourself. I'm so proud of you Mm. for making it. Be flexible. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you talk about sourcing ingredients, can the average consumer source, I mean, are we talking about commercial buyers? No. No, because no, not commercial is not always the best product. You know, it's uh, these days. One one thing the pandemic did for me was it taught me that I could buy a lot of things online, and I found some really really good companies. Uh, I, I I don't work for them. I don't make money from them. Uh, but there's a company I use. I'm actually I've got an order coming tomorrow from CrowdCow, um, and they deliver. Uh, around the United States. Uh, it's free delivery. If you spend, I think that's a hundred and hundred dollars or $129, which if you buy enough meat for two weeks, you know, and their portions are reasonable. Uh, it's all small farm raised uh, with beef. You get grass fed or you can get uh, organic and they give you a couple of different sure. choices. Pork, you know, you can buy, they even sell, seafood by like single pieces so mm-hmm. if you wanted some cooper river salmon you could buy two mm-hmm. pieces some mm-hmm. sockeye salmon you can buy two pieces you want some halibut you can buy two pieces mm. so okay. you can accommodate your you know you can change your your recipes without yeah. spending a lot of money and again it's going to be more expensive but you know use the portion smaller put more you know, use, you know, potatoes or rice, or again, some starch, it's not going to be as expensive mm-hmm. and a, a fresh vegetable, especially in the summer, you know, everything comes down with produce. Uh, but that's a good source. And there's other, there's tons of other companies that just happened to have been my favorite because yeah. they sell it. No, that's they good. Sell, yeah. They sell everything. You know, good, tip. Just, good recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. Any other, that was crowd cow, crowd cow. Yeah. yeah. Any yeah. other, any others come to mind? Um, I'm trying to think of the other one that I was using. Uh, whew, that's the best one for meat. Okay. okay. Uh, there's, there's some different, I tried there's some new produce companies like there's, I can't remember the name of the ugly produce company. Uh, and they would send you stuff that wasn't perfect. Imperfect foods. Imperfect. Yeah. I think it was something like that. And, yeah. and I was too far away from their mm-hmm. distribution mm-hmm. points. So it did not come to me in mm-hmm. excellent shape. Sure. But, uh, oh, there's some Alaskan, I buy, um, 
salmon and I can't remember. It's, I think it's Alaskan seafood. But again, sometimes you got to buy five or 10 pounds. Uh, but if, but if you're going to, and it's going to be a lot more, one thing to remember, uh, um, line caught, uh, wild caught Pacific salmon is so much better for you than mm-hmm. Atlantic salmon, but it's mm-hmm. going to be about twice as much money. So again, you buy the f- five or six ounce pieces of it. You know, you don't need that much. Enjoy the flavor of it. Yeah. Uh, and just buy smaller portions and, you know, get more, fill your body with more other things. Save room for dessert then. (laughs) (laughs) Can't miss that. Yeah. So it sounds like for a lot of these uh, buys, we really need a separate freezer. It's not going to fit in the, well, uh, you know, good, but if you really want to take advantage of the. It depends how much room you have, you know, like my neighbor marvels at how much we have the same size refrigerator. She marvels at how much stuff I put in my freezer. And when I'm in, I just, when I'm in New Jersey, I did not have a separate freezer and I Mm -hmm. would pack, I would have all kinds of stuff. I had 10 pounds of shrimp in there uh, that I bought because, you know, I would go somewhere that sold them wholesale and buy Mm -hmm. frozen shrimp. Um, Again, with shrimp, if you can, U S waters, uh, Gulf of Mexico, my priority. Pacific shrimp are great. Um, anything Asian, mm-mm. you know, anything out of the Asian waters, pretty much. I'm like, I, I don't trust the cleanliness of the water. I don't trust the packing and them processing. Yeah. So I, I try to stay with the uh, European Union, uh, Canadian, uh, Mexican. United States, North America is great for mm-hmm. seafood. Aust- Australia, if you can get it, but it's sometimes very expensive. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's just a matter of trying to be a little bit, be a little bit more, um, have a little more criteria for what you're putting in your body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, if it seems like it's costing more, quality is going to cost more. That's the part of the problem with the country is that junk food is cheap. Yeah. So we eat so much of it were yeah. quality food, you know, organics are coming down. Actually like Costco, you can get some really good organic products. You know, I used to buy sockeye salmon there and I would buy a bag. I think it had like three pounds in it, frozen IQF frozen. It was great. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's always alternatives. People in the Midwest that say we don't, we can't get fish. Well, you got a Costco or maybe yeah, a Sam's yeah. club. Costco is great. But, but look at the labels, turn them over and see where they come from. See mm-hmm. where the fish originates from. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. So the Pacific, good uh, Pacific salmon, better than the Atlantic, mm-hmm. and um, a little less interest in the Asian types of seafood. The tiger, yeah, which is popular now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah tigers came a long way, but it's just you know, a lot of the stuff's coming from Vietnam and mm-hmm. coming from uh, you know different waters around there, and mm-hmm. like they try to sell crab meat. It's a different crab. It's mm-hmm. it's a blue swimming crab, but it's not a blue claw crab. You know, so if you're used to East Coast Gulf crab, Bay blue crab, oh, not at all. And just like the people on the Pacific, they love their Dungeness, you know, yeah. and they, they don't like the blue claw. You know, yeah. it's where you grew up, but, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Asian crab looks like our crab, but it doesn't really taste like our crab. Mm, sure. Yeah, I'm just uh, seeing our time. I'd love to keep on talking and uh, have a load more questions, but. I think it's necessary to wrap up. What, what would you hope our listeners take away from this conversation? What, what do you want them to take away? Well, I want them to understand that, you know, cooking doesn't have to be difficult. 
And it should be something you enjoy and something you spend time with. You know, if you have a significant other or a family member or a, uh, that you can cook with and then just bond. I, I really wish I had spent more time. I wish I had, had been old enough to spend time cooking with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. I really wish it would. So, you know, use, think of food as a bonding tool. If you're eating with another person, use that time, you know, enjoy the food. Uh, you're, you're bonding with someone you're, you know, sometimes it's nice just to eat with a stranger and learn about someone new. We do that in Europe all the time. Uh, but, but I, I would like to have them look at it. You know, it's not mystical. It's not magical. Uh, it's food for the soul and food for the body and food mm-hmm. for the mind. And to think of it that way and to adapt recipes. So you enjoy eating them. Mm-hmm. And if you enjoy eating them, you're going to find more joy in the kitchen. Good advice. And your website is AskChefDennis? Yep, AskChefDennis.com. And if you're on any uh, social medias, I'm AskChefDennis pretty much on everything. Yeah, yeah. Great website. I I love it. I think you've got a great collection of recipes. And as I said to you when we talked, I said some of my favorite recipes are there. And I'm always a fan of those. So I appreciate that time. Uh, Dennis, I am looks like we're out of time, though, but before we wrap up, I just want to remind our listeners about a co-sponsor for our program, A Mighty Good Time. Are you looking for ways to engage and stay active? Check out amightygoodtime.com. It's a one-stop shop for events and activities for those 50 and over. It's free to search and it's free to post, amightygoodtime.com. And be sure to visit the Living to 100 Club website to sign up for our weekly podcast announcements and monthly newsletters. And while you're there, be sure to download a free copy of My Nine Tips for Living Longer. So we've been talking today with Dennis Litley. Dennis, again, your website, askchefdennis.com. Can people contact you on your website? Absolutely. My email's on there. They can uh, they can leave comments on recipes and ask questions, or they can shoot me an email too. Great. Great. Well, thanks so much for being a guest. I love this conversation. Oh, Hope to have you back sometime, maybe. Yeah. My pleasure, Joe. And anytime, I'll be happy to come back. Thank you. Okay. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. Thank you.